You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Welcome, everybody. This is episode five of our operator series, where we're bringing on founders, CEOs, VPs of supply chain, those that are leading these brands to success and navigating through all this uncertainty to share their experiences. And so I really want to thank Andrew, Emily, and Chad for for joining us today. I'm going to give some quick intros and we'd love to hear from you all. Another thing is for any of you who are joining for the first time, if you haven't used LiveStorm, please ask a bunch of questions in the chat or in the questions. We can actually also pull people on stage. And so if you want to come on and, and talk to the guests, please raise your hand. We can get you up here. I've got a ton of questions. We got a bunch of questions from you all in advance. So appreciate that. But this is this is for you all. And so ask away, interrupt me. Um, Nick's really good at that. And so I'm sure he'll interrupt me some as well. But please keep, keep them coming. So First, uh, just want, want to open up with, uh, with Emily Sewell, VP of Supply Chain over, over at Hubble Contacts. By the way, I, I do need to become a customer of your guys's. Um, I'm probably not because when I play basketball, I can't wear my glasses. And so I blame like my poor shot on not having contacts. <laughs> um, so maybe that's the reason why. But welcome, Emily. Casey, Casey, could you go like James Worthy goggles? Like maybe go the full. I, I could, but then I think the expectations of my game would raise. So... You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to balance that. Um, <laughs> rumor, so maybe, rumor has it you can dunk. So, yeah, we'll blame COVID on why I can't when we get out of this. <laughs> Andrew Ferris, CEO at Four by Four Hundred, which is a modern day D2C holding company. Uh, they own several brands, including Slick Products, Fielder's Choice Goods. Which, by the way, if you want to see storytelling from a marketing perspective and just around a brand, check out some of the Fielder's Choice work. I, I, I love the stuff that they've done there. Really tapping into the nostalgia of just these these baseball mitts, which they turn into wallets and a bunch of other cool stuff. Highly, highly recommend checking them out. Also, Bamboo Earth and formerly Kayla, which was recently acquired. And then we also have Chad Rubin, who's the CEO and founder of Think Crucial. He's also the CEO and founder of Scubana. I'm not sure how he does both. And Chad is really an, an OG in the DTC space. He's been running Think Crucial for over a decade. And it's not just your everyday direct consumer brand. They're shipping heavy, bulky items. Uh, they have a large catalog. He's shipping across multiple channels. And then Escubana, you know, they support thousands of D2C brands selling across multiple channels. And so we've got just a great, a great lineup today. I'm, I'm really excited. And then as I was telling Nick earlier, I had a lot of coffee today and all three of my kids slept through the night. So my energy level is high. Let's, uh, let's jump into this. So Emily, I want to start with you. So as a supply chain leader and somebody who focuses primarily on supply chain, with COVID, how do you how has your role evolved in the last few months? And what do you think this means on the idea and importance of supply chain moving forward and how direct-to-consumer brands prioritize their focus in hiring? Yeah, great question. I'd say the supply chain has really come front and center now. Everybody wants to make sure that it's healthy and know more about it. Whereas I think under normal circumstances, supply chain ends up kind of taking the backseat. So it's definitely been interesting. We've had to uh, certainly ramp up our communication, both internally and with our 3PL and carriers to make sure that everything is flowing smoothly. Uh, we've been fortunate to be able to say that it is, and so far, so good for us. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We're just pretty fortunate with our location and the way that our supply chain is set up right now that it has had minimal impact. Fortunately, we did hire me some supply chain help right before this all started happening. So that was just kind of luck. And I think we were on the good, the good side of that, that we were proactive in hiring because certainly responsibility has ramped up for us and have a lot of balls to keep in the air as we go through this. But I think it will also hopefully lend itself to supporting the team further going forward, like maybe getting additional headcount to be able to continue to support continuity operations. Where do you manufacture your goods? We're manufacturing in Taiwan. So 
luckily avoiding some of the struggles that happened with mainland China by being out there. And we were with a manufacturer that has about seven different facilities. So if they did have an issue in one location, we'd be fortunate that they could easily pop up our operation elsewhere. We're also kind of at a nice point where we've streamlined our purchase order process. So we essentially always have product on the water and always have an open PO that they're working on. And it's just kind of this rolling forecast that we've fortunately had several years to sort of perfect. Uh, So it kind of just runs, I would say, in terms of the order cycle, product on the water, product hitting our warehouse here domestically. And then also in Europe, we have a a facility in the Netherlands. So you guys are at a larger scale than maybe some of the people here, um, which has helped you have the rolling orders. But you are shipping from Asia, and it is going by sea. And so what issues have you seen when these boats hit the docks and people are trying to figure out how to get things off and into the ports and then the fulfillment centers? And how are you navigating that? Yeah, so we are completely ocean freight. We used to do some air, but we avoid that now at all costs if we can. We have certainly seen an increase in, in our time on the water and increase in time to get the containers to our facility. I'd say we've buffered in about two additional weeks right now to navigate that. So yeah, we kind of started seeing that start happening, I'd say two months ago now. So we've kind of gotten to a point where it's almost like, I hate that people keep saying this, but the new normal where we've just gotten used to kind of buffering two extra weeks. Okay, that's great. And so Andrew, honestly, you're one of the best followers on Twitter. That's how I hit you up here. I'm I know four by four hundred is part of you know re- related to Common Thread. I've known Taylor, fortunately, over there for quite a while, and then Aaron, who recently joined you all. But just love what you're putting out there, and you're not just throwing out surface level nonsense or things to sound smart and get a bunch of likes, but it's really actual knowledge that you're running across the multiple brands you're running with screenshots and and the data behind it. So, what was the catalyst to really jump all in there, and what would have been some of like the interesting outcomes from that? To jump into the Twitter community? Yeah. That's actually a really... I'm really glad you asked that. I'll tell you exactly what the catalyst is, which is that Taylor Holiday, who you mentioned, the managing partner of Common Thread Collective, um, CTC, if you don't know, repping my hat here, is a digital sales agency focusing on brands, uh, D2C brands, zero to 30 million. So just just have spent millions of dollars growing brands online in that particular stage. We've worked with other brands before, and um, we came from... 4i400, which I run, uh, is is majority owned by CTC. So we just kind of looked at the money we were spending on other people's brands and said, why don't we do this with our own brands? Uh, we could probably be some unique help to a certain kind of entrepreneur who could use our help at sort of a different level than before. So I was the head of strategy at CTC and then went over to 4i400. Anyway, at some point, Taylor and then Aaron Orndorff, who you also mentioned, used to be the editor of the Shopify Plus blog, just a brilliant marketer. That basically they told me to. That, that's kind of the answer as to how I got the Twitter. They they were like, "Hey, you need to do this because at some point you're gonna have to hire somebody, and like people need to know who you are and what you're doing and all that." I like I personally viscerally despise marketing guruism. I, I people just have every incentive to share their wins and not their losses. I've watched it happen from inside, like knowing people rehashing other people's stuff, and nobody's as good as they seem like they are on Twitter, myself included, like everything works for me when I post it on Twitter, you know, all of my stuff works on Twitter and we never have any major problems and those sorts of things. So of course, none of that's true. And so at some point though, um, somebody told me, I literally created a sauna task for myself. That's like, you need to tweet today. Um, and then just had it as a repeating task. Cause that like, I, yeah. But what I found is that DTC Twitter is one of the best things out there. It is awesome. Like I, actually a guy the other day, um, I think it was you, Chad, before we started, was mentioning you work with Groove, Groove Rings. I used to work with Kalo. I'm wearing my Kalo ring now, but I have no hard feelings towards Groove. Those guys seem like great guys. And um, I was talking with uh, Josh Durham and Brian Garvin, both of whom have become friends who like lead their customer acquisition over there. I mean, those guys are so smart. And Josh tweeted the other day, like, I can't believe DTC Twitter is free because it's just like so helpful. And I've become like sincerely good friends with people from there. And so yeah, if you get nothing else from this webinar, go get on Twitter and and follow like an easy place to start is uh, 2PM, Webb Smith. His, um, he's got a list, a Twitter list of like sort of DTC Twitter. There's like a hundred people or so on there that if you just follow that list, that'll kind of get you into the conversation. And there's just really smart operators Taylor always talks about people in the DMs on 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 Twitter will tell you they'll like basically share their PL with you. Like they'll just tell you anything. Um 
And so it's awesome. I think I think what people in the DC world, especially like in the Twitter DC world, realize is like we're none of us are really competing with each other. Like even the ring example, you know, like Groove versus Kalo, category the category of silicone wedding rings. Who cares who's winning that category? Like the actual category those brands care about is metal wedding rings, which is still the gigantic majority of the market of wedding rings. And so eh, if Groove and Kalo fight each other and and so does Enso rings and whatever, like whatever, you know, uh, like, I, I mean, I don't work for either of them anymore. So maybe they don't think that way. But that's the way that I would think about it is like, really what they want to do is growth category. It's like craft beer versus Budweiser or something like that. Does, does Stone really care that much about Sierra Nevada? Or do they care about Budweiser? Like, that's, you know, so that's the way I, I kind of think of all that. So DDC Twitter just kind of reflects that mentality. And it's been really fun. That's awesome. At, at Andrew J. Ferris. Here you go. Andrew J. Ferris. We'll, we'll drop a link in there. So Chad, you know, you and I, chat pretty often. I, I love how you've been able to not just thrive with um, Think Crucial, but also make some very interesting pivots in what, you, what you're manufacturing uh, and how you're really supporting people in this time. And so I, I'd love to hear one, some of the pains that you saw as you manufacture overseas and how you, you guys were able to make really quick changes to not just run your business more successfully at Think Crucial, but also how are you able to support people during these times as well? Yeah, it's a great question. So with Think Crucial, we had a hard time getting product out of China. Most of our product is made in mainland China. And I was trying to figure out why are we having such a hard time? Why are material costs rising? And it had to do with the fact that actually uh, HEPA cloth bags are made with the same material as masks, KN95 masks. So I was in the shower and I'm like, oh my God, I'm sitting on thousands of items of inventory that can be actually repurposed into masks. So what did we do? I found somebody, I live in New York, uh, uh, Rockland County in Nyack, New York. And I found a, uh, a Facebook group called the, the Masked Warriors that are volunteer group that's made, that are making masks. And they started making pockets where they, I just donated my filter masks or filters to, and they started making these masks. Long story short, I just did that out of, out of just like, hey, I wanna be supportive. I wanna do my part in this, in this crazy world that we're living in right now. And one thing led to another. Actually, someone internally at Stubana referred me to somebody who came to a dinner that we hosted that repurposed their factory into making masks in LA called Headley and Bennett. Sure enough, we started collabing. And for every mask that they sell, they donate one. And for every filter that we that Think Crucial sells, we donate one as well. And we just have a, a beautiful JV that is uh, that's shaped up just due to the circumstances. So. Um, I think that's one thing I just want to piggyback on what Andrew was saying is like, in this environment, I'm keeping like friends close. And I've for decades, I've been keeping enemies even closer. And so we started running out of stock. I started calling up friends. A lot of them were supportive. Then I started call calling up coopetition, like people I've been competing with and being like, hey, we're going to be running out of inventory. Can you help us out? And we've been able to actually secure a tremendous amount of what we call melt-blown polyester material to support the kind of sell-through that we're experiencing right now because we are item. I, lo I love that. And that's a question we get a lot as well, which is, hey, my manufacturers overseas, they can't get us anything, period, or they can't get us anything for four weeks, or, hey, everybody in the U.S. is not taking on new customers. And so it's maybe going to the competition and it's just, the importance of, of relationships has never been more apparent than it is now. And I think that's something that a lot of the smart operators have been doing for a long time. And hopefully everybody's realizing this and, and really digging more there, You know, whether it's from supply chain to your marketing partners, again, to even your competition, because you can learn so much from there. And, and so, by the way, I, it wasn't always like this. Like when I first started Crucial 10 years ago and even Stubana, I was like, I want it all. I want all the market <laughs> share for myself. And now it's it's like, okay, you know what? We can coexist together in the space. We're never going to own 100%. Let's just have a relationship. And it's been great. So as, as Nick called out in the, in the chat, ask questions. Usually it's about the, around the 20-minute mark where people are like, I'll throw in the first question. And then it steamrolls into a bunch of questions. So please, everybody chime in. Doesn't matter what your question is. Make fun of one of us. But let's, let's get the conversation going. So I'll start actually with a question that we got in advance from Nikki with a C. With coronavirus, what are some of your strategies and resources for choosing products that will sell right now? So I'll open that up to the group if, if somebody wants to jump in there. I might have a unique perspective on this because 4400 owns brands across different spaces. Like, So our brands are skincare, wallets made out of baseball gloves, and 
off wash vehicles for off-road or wash products for off-road vehicles, like just all over the place in terms of what we're selling. And then I also just have some visibility to what's going on for Common Threads clients and and some of their stuff. And my answer to that question is almost everything. <laughs> like if you are selling products online right now, it is I, I just haven't seen anything like this. So like what we saw was a gigantic dip and right away that seemed to be just straight up consumer confidence. Like just everybody held on to their cash for a second. And then increases week over week. I saw some data saying there's 15% increases in sales week over week with uh, online anywhere, doesn't matter. Um, just like total retail sales, 15% up week over week. Um, I saw this from a bank. And then I saw data saying that um, even still, total retail sales were down 28%, except e-commerce year over year was up 50%. And the logic is pretty simple, right? Which is like, not everybody lost their job. You know, let's say 20% of people are furloughed or, or lost their job right now. And that's just staggering, right? Well, a couple of things. One of them is, first of all, a lot of those people, I think, are expecting to get those jobs back. And then also, of course, there's a stimulus. And I know there's been problems with all of that, and I do not want to minimize anybody's suffering. But in the midst of that, what's what's happening is that if you just think about that, what what's happened is even if 25% of spending is down, let's just take that take that number as a simple way of thinking about it, right? Well, like 70% of the places where you can spend your money are close, you know? And so that still leaves a huge gap between people who still have cash and and like the places where that demand can be captured and that can only be captured online. So what, so what we have now seen over more time is that the more essential a business is, there's no question those businesses are doing better than the less essential businesses. They're seeing a bigger bump. But at the same time, I would say that uh, we're seeing across the board increasingly category after category just go whoop, like this, like D to C. And that's just included so many different people. So, so I, I could say a lot more about that. I think the one other really key thing to recognize here is that large players are also pulling huge amounts of marketing dollars back. And in, if you're spending money in any of the large programmatic auction-based digital marketing systems, like Facebook, Google, Snap, I assume, like to any of those places where the price for your marketing is set by an auction, I've just seen like the cost of advertising go down to the tune of 40%, stuff like that. And so if you're seeing retail go up this much or e-commerce go up this PM, so what we're actually seeing is like, people who are like having Black Friday, like day over day, over day, over day. And I know like uh, Shopify posted some data saying they're seeing across all their stores, it looks, the behavior looks like Black Friday, which is just crazy. It's a weird time to be a winner in all this. But so yeah, so that's a long winded way of saying like my experience right now is to just be aggressive about products, try lots of stuff and see what you can make work. Because if you can handle the supply chain and you're not getting killed there, it's mostly worth it. I'm glad you called out the, the tweet from JML over at the CTO over at Shopify, where I really view them as a proxy for the for the ecosystem because the data they have is across, let's just say, a million plus brands or at least hundreds of thousands. And if they're seeing consistent Black Friday level volume, that's such a signal for for the greater ecosystem. And as you mentioned, not to minimize anything that's happening, but between unemployment and stimulus helping people and people still need to buy goods. And for better or worse, though, they will still buy, I don't know, view it as discretionary funds. People are st are still buying. Um, but what I think what's been interesting as well, we actually talked to um, customer of ours who runs Organic Olivia, where they've seen a huge spike. But what's been interesting is they've been focusing on a product that they have that has elderberry, which, especially during coronavirus, has increased in, greatly in demand. And so that was often something that was a very slow mover of theirs. It would sit on our shelves for months um, and they couldn't sell it. And now they, can't, now they can't manufacture it fast enough. And so they quickly shifted their marketing message and their homepage and other things into showcasing a product like that. And so some of it is, what do people want today? And also, how are they buying? Are they stockpiling? Like Patrick over at Supply talked about how he was creating bundles because people wanted to stock up more now than in the future because like there's been zeitgeist shifts. And so thinking about the strategy there as well. And so from there, I want to, I want to take it back to Emily. With over at Hubble, have you have you all seen a demand and shift from some of your best sellers or what people per typically purchase or how they typically purchase? Or has there been a shift to other products? We've definitely experienced an increase, um, kind of echoing Andrew. It feels like people are just going to e-commerce right now for essentials. Uh, so we've certainly felt an uptick. And again, definitely don't want to capitalize on the suffering or minimize the situation at all. But 
we've been fortunate that it's actually boosted our sales. I would say that it's on trend with normal, uh, like what our top movers are still our top movers. But on both of our sites, Hubble Contacts and then our sister site, Contacts Cart, we've been doing a significant uptick. You have a, a very large catalog and you've been in the space for a long time and you are selling essentials. And so have you seen a shift in one, the products that people purchase and two, how they, or you know, maybe the quantity or how they purchase? So and for us, it's a little bit different because we are a subscription model. You're essentially having to purchase on the same cadence all the time. Uh, part of the beauty of it is that it's a set it and forget it model so that you're just constantly getting your contact lenses at the cadence at which you would need to replace them. So on the Hubble side, that's 30 daily lenses a month. I think that part of the success of it is also that daily lenses are the healthiest type of lens for your eye. And there has been a little bit of noise that maybe contact lenses during this pandemic aren't the safest thing to be using. But the CDC has put out information that as long as you're using proper hygiene, they are still recommending that you can wear contact lenses. And the dailies happen to be the most hygienic because you're never trying to clean them or reuse them. So I think that that's added to the success also. You, Chad. And to add to that, not just what they're buying and how they're buying, it'd also be great to hear where they're buying. Yeah, so we manufacture all our all our own home appliance parts and accessories, so vacuum filters, coffee filters, air filters. We have roughly, I, I want to say, a thousand of our own branded SKUs, and we don't always nail it. Like, not everything's a home run, and so we've had a lot of, what I would say, like, bad purchases that have exploded in this time frame like absolutely exploded just because the fact that either people have ran out of stock or people are just looking to buy something they can't get it on Amazon and we're in a 3PL environment and we can ship out sooner. So we're really capitalizing on it. One item in particular that I'm going to share, so we make this filter media and we collab with Headley and Bennett and a few other actual companies that we're collaborating with right now. And we have another item that just has not done well, kitchen shears, like kitchen scissors. And so I was on the phone with my COO at the beginning of the week, and we were like, hey, like, how do we bundle this together? What can we do? So we created an upsell on Shopify's checkout. Actually, you can use bold upsell or you can use something like order bump. And we order bump the scissors so that you can cut your own media. Now, mind you, this item has not sold in a very long time. And people are actually buying it. They're just bundling it together. And in economies of scale, like it's a very prof profitable item, one that we probably would have donated uh, or given it away or even just like probably trashed it uh, if you asked me four months ago. Well, from a channel perspective, and then we can bring this to uh, Andrew afterwards. So your experience in Amazon is very deep and you've been in this, you've seen the, the Amazon evolution from the, you know, from the start. And so a question from Samantha is, what are some suggestions for marketing styles on Amazon during this time? And then Chad, how have you seen Amazon growth versus your guys' own website? So the business is up overall, like at least 200% year over year, uh, if not more. Actually, the interesting data point here is that our Shopify site has just absolutely exploded. And I think it just goes back to my my viewpoint always has just been, I always want to be, be diversified. I want to be on as many channels as possible and increase dwell time. I've never been just an Amazon seller, an FBA seller. Uh, we've always been doing merchant fulfillment along with priming specific diamond SKUs that we have on Amazon. But we've been very blessed in the scenario where we've been able to really accelerate growth on Shopify. And it's a super high margin. It's a high margin business. Uh, and it's a very, the supply and demand is just like completely out of whack right now for a lot of our product line. In terms of like, what can you do right now on Amazon? Going back to, I think, just Andrew's point in general is like, I think the cost of acquisition has gotten uh, pretty low for specific categories. And in fact, a lot of competitors have bowed out of doing PPC in this environment. And so this is an area where you can like double down, you can take share. In fact, Google just announced that they're actually waiving fees on the Google uh, product uh, listing marketplace as well. So there's a lot of opportunity to, to do well in this environment. Awesome. And people in the audience as well, please jump in. Like I know a lot of you have been on these before. Uh, we want to hear your answers as well. I was going through, I, I always look at everybody who registers and everybody who attends. And so I know that there's quite a few seven and eight figure per year brands out there. And so we'd love to hear directly from, from you all as well. So please, please feel free to chime in. Um, in the past, we've had people with some great insight just in how they've been able to restructure contracts, let's say, wholesale to like the best buys and the Trader Joe's of the world to, you know, different marketing initiatives that they're, that they're taking on as well. And so 
Andrew, to take it back to you with, with Facebook in particular, what, it, what kind of messaging have you seen work best? And from a creative point of a creative perspective, what has resonated the most and how have you been able to consistently come up with new creative? So one of the things that we've been saying a lot around just kind of our not offices, but community still is uh, message the moment. And I, I think you have to do that really sensitively. So um, in fact, I saw an ad come through from my team that at one point sort of had a line like, I try to be the kind of person who looks at the bright side of everything. And I just thought, man, if I got served that ad and like a family member of mine had died from coronavirus, like that would that would be a huge bummer. Like even aside from the bad business look, that just there's a human on the other side of that. So so for us, I think like message the moment, but with the caveat that you really want to be careful about how you do that and be sensitive to to that sort of thing. So I, I think that's a real thing. I think that for me, like I think a lot of the big kind of uh, way I've been thinking about this generally is just this notion of sort of angles and offers. In my view, a lot of where I have been wrong in the past about um, the best ways to operate in Facebook ads and where I think a lot of the Facebook and like media buying kind of world can sometimes go wrong is that people recognize, I think at this stage, that creative is a much bigger factor in your marketing than targeting. That um, especially with the way that Facebook's machine learning and algorithmic buying sort of built-ins to their system have, um, have continued to develop Generally, the best move is to to lean on the algorithm. I mean, we're just machine learning and algorithms like it's just they're just so much better at predicting the future of where to put your ads than you and I are. So like we're we're like constantly beating the drum of target really broadly, let the algorithm sort it out, especially depending on your spend level and some other factors. But anyway, so the creative is a huge thing. But I think what people can miss with doing that is then then what they do is they just iterate bunches of new ads without a lot of thoughtfulness about sort of a conceptual center to those. So it'll just be like, change the background color because everybody's heard the story of how somebody changed their CTA and it improved their conversion rate 20% or whatever. And so you kind of have this mentality, but I just think that's probably, I'm sure there are examples of that, but it seems to me to be the outlier. And so instead like what I am focusing a lot on is thinking more about like how I, starting at the product and offer level, starting with questions about like, what do I have supply chain wise that I can sell, um, which is a real question right now for a lot of brands. Where's my margin? Where's my best LTV? Like really trying to, what, where's my scalability? Just trying to think through at the product level first, what I can do to make, like what would it be really good if I could sell basically and good for my business. And then, uh, and then go from there and work towards an offer and an angle. The offer can include sort of how you position it, how you bundle it, pricing, price anchoring, a bunch of different things like that. And then I work backwards from there to the creative. So I'm in the positioning of the product and some of the, and going back from there and saying, okay, now how do I message the moment at the ad level to bring somebody into this angle? So the example I gave recently is like a, a, a skin detox. If you're switching skincare to clean skincare, sometimes you can break out from that because of purging old chemicals in your skincare. And so uh, if you're stuck at home, no big deal. Um, so, um, so yeah, so like we kind of did a whole thing around detoxing your skin and that seemed to work really, really well. But that actually started with like at the product and offer and angle kind of level. And then worked out from there towards creative that messaged that. Um, with, the, so in, with creative, because yeah. you yeah. mentioned, I'm glad you called out the machine learning and the algorithms because they are getting to the point where they can do a lot of the, the heavy lifting and the, the time intensive work for us, even though you do need to evaluate which ads are performing best. And especially in like the B2B space. Are people churning? Are people staying longer? Who are your repeat customers? But anyways, back to like the actual creative. How are you all creating that today? And have you seen a shift in, in especially when you utilize Instagram and Facebook, which is a much more visual medium? Are you using static imagery? Are you guys creating video? Are you utilizing UGC? How are you approaching that? Yes. <laughs> uh, the answer Perfect. is, yeah, we, we'll try it all. Um, I just think every lesson you've ever heard about like, this is the thing that works on Facebook is wrong. So, uh, and what I mean by that is that like, sometimes, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't like UGC sometimes works, but I like just like, I've just seen every rule of thumb be wrong at times. And so the answer is like, how can you um, get smart, consistent, creative testing? And I, I think both of those matter. Like what I don't want to do is just throw a million things at it. Sometimes that can be helpful, actually. It's just just pure volume. But uh, and what I also don't want to do is just like slave over a new piece of creative for weeks and weeks to try to like really dial it in perfectly. There's some kind of middle ground there of like iterating regularly. And what is that the bigger the swings or like the 
to get really different results, you need to try really different things. So, you know, a minute and a half long explainer video probably is going to have a different effect than a still image. And to think about how each of those is going to lead somebody from um, the ad through to the angle of the offer is really crucial in my view. So we do it all. Like I, I think I'm actually, like my, my uh, director of growth, really smart guy. He's like constantly beating the still image drum and, and everybody else has just been talking for forever about video, 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 but he's, I don't really understand why like still images work. And if you can do a great job uh, with a headline and, and following up with information, they work. And then I've also seen the people who are winning with 10 minute long explainer videos that are just like impossibly slow, but some people stay with them. So, so there's just a lot of different ways to win. And what I would say is like test creatively, start with it, grab attention in the beginning, fill out the information on the back end of that. If you can accomplish both of those things at the ad level, you can win. And there's a lot of ways to do those two things. You need to do both. Agreed. I think that we're going to look at some silver lining from, from this craziness is that people are realizing there really are no rules and what works for one business won't work for another. And so again, it's good that you have somebody in your team that is just all in on static imagery and some other, somebody else is all in on UGC video because there's the right message and the right time for each and it depends on the product and, and you've got to test and put that out there. Um, but that's also what makes our, you know, our, our jobs fun. So here we have a question from, uh, from Colin that I'll, we'll open up to uh, all of you. Is, is any of, are any of you using Snap or Pinterest for customer acquisition? And if so, how, do the, how well do they work or compare to Google and Facebook? Just say quickly, I'm not. I'm not using either of them right now. Uh, there may be a day when we do, but it's another thing I'm a big believer in is there's lots of upside left in Facebook for people who, I mean, some of you are spending 20, 30 grand a day and you're tapping up the top. I totally get it. Yeah, you might have to move on. But especially right now, I've got one brand with 5X my ad dollars. And the reason why is exactly what I said. CPMs are down so much that there's just like way more scale in Facebook right now than there has been for me for a long time. So I agree with that. And that's something that we think about a lot as well, which is, there's only so much time in the day. Um, so you really need to focus. I'm not saying don't try new channels because there's so much value in that, but also don't get distracted by the shiny penny because are you at 5% and will you be maxing out on Facebook where you've already built in those muscles, you have the tracking in place, you understand the mechanics of that, you understand what that looks like economically and can you scale that before trying these other channels? And so maybe try to like maximize the channels where you're already semi-proficient in and become even better before starting to look at others. But again, I'm not saying don't test don't test other channels. So question here from, from Kiku, if you're a brand new company and the launch has been delayed, Kiku, we might need to pull you on stage and get some more context. What should you be concentrating on right now? And so again, I'll open this up to the audience. If you're early stage, what do you, what do you recommend concentrating on for these newer brands? All right, we'll, we'll let that one sit. If you guys have ideas, chime in. Also, I know some of you in the audience have recently launched and been rather successful. So please feel free to throw in the chat as well. There I'm we actually, go. Yeah, I'm actually... One sec, chat. I didn't want to call Paul out. Paul Howdigy here chiming in. Audience growth here. He's going to drop some knowledge here. Uh, but he's got some good stuff he recently launched. Chad, throw it over to you. Oh, I was just curious. What is delaying the launch? Like now it's easier than ever to start a brand to go direct to consumers. So I just wanted more clarity like what's delaying the launch, like throw up a, um, a splash page, maybe use Shogun and like I would start selling, like now's the time to start selling. And, and I think also right now, which something that I know we focused on, a lot of the brands I'm talking to have is, is taking the level of communication with your customers and partners, but your customers to the next level. And so Paul calls out audience, audience growth here. And so it's, it's building that audience, but building that audience also means building the rapport and relationship with that audience and understanding who they are more and why they're buying from you versus somebody else. And so I think really focusing on the customer and understanding them a lot better. Uh, and especially if you're early stage, like everybody always looks at the, the incumbents or these much larger brands and they aspire to be that as they should. But one of the beauties of being a smaller brand is you have time to, to know possibly all of your customers or, or a huge um, majority of that. And so with Kiku, she's stuck in production, so she doesn't have the product right now. So again, even there, just like Chad said, throw up something like Shogun or landing, just some landing page, say that the inventory will be on its way um, and start trying to build this relationship and understand the customers. Because even if you get feedback and you can't complete the sale, you can follow up with them after and you're already starting to build some relationship. So another question here, oh, I've got some thoughts on this. Um, we'll, we'll open it up to all of you. I'll, 
uh, from Colin. So Chad, you mentioned the free Google listings. Does this make Google a more legitimate competitor in e-commerce with Amazon? Well, I think Google has always been legitimate. I just think Amazon's always been a few steps ahead. But I've always been about just like playing Monopoly in e-commerce. I want to be everywhere where people are spending dwell time. And part of that dwell time is on Google. So if Amazon has 50% product search share right now, and Google has 80% just share in general, how can I capitalize on the search and the eyeballs that are going to Google right now? And I think Google just has made it a lot easier to capture that and for brands to start actually like embracing their platform where they haven't maybe previously. So where I want to dig in a little bit more with you, Chad, is so I'm a big fan of Amazon. Um, I know, I guess, ShipBob kind of com- kind of ish competes against Amazon. I view it as a compliment to a lot of our customers. And especially with Amazon cutting off everything that they consider non-essential, and they're such a massive organization, there's nobody to even pick up the phone and call to say, well, hey, this product actually is essential. You just tagged it wrong because their phones would ring off the hook. And so, Chad, can you just share a little bit of your experience there and also how this has really showcased the value of diversifying your channel mix? Yeah, so Amazon has gotten so large with so many products that they just couldn't control the assortment. So they just went through and they swept everything and it was pretty much a robot. And we actually got a ton of products that were kicked out saying, hey, these are non-essentials. So like pet filters were essential, but like human air filters weren't essential. It actually had no rhyme or reason to it, which was totally crazy. Nobody had talked to, nobody emailed. They weren't even responsive to this. They have let up some of those restrictions, but I do feel bad for those that really embraced Amazon as a business versus just merely a channel. And so we've done very, very well in this environment, having just presence off Amazon. And I do think, by the way, other channels have been able to, like other merchants and brands have embraced a lot of other channels during this time if they couldn't embrace Amazon uh, to get more listings up onto onto those marketplaces. For example, eBay, Sears even has a marketplace, Walmart, if you're maybe in niches like Verishop or maybe uh, Huckberry, for example. So I think that this has just allowed more people, I think just like the rising tide lifts all ships. And I think it's right now, that's just what's happening specifically in my space, but across e-commerce where e-commerce is maybe 12% or 13% of total retail, that will probably be like 25 or 30%. I'm assuming, I'm guessing, but I think it could be pretty, pretty high right now. And I think Shopify is benefiting from this specifically around groceries, where groceries, grocery stores, or small grocery uh, boutiques that are making like ghee or other essentials right now are doing extremely well in embracing Shopify and selling on the internet. And so something I want to answer, or I guess get in front of that some of you might be thinking is, we say, hey, don't spray and pray and chase a bunch of channels. And at the same time, we're saying diversify. I think it's picking the right horses that have the scale to get you in front of the right customers. But there's also so much value in which of these channels actually have strong data that you can rely on and feedback into your decision-making process so that you are confident in what they're showing. And so that leads into an example that that Andrew dropped in from Colin in the questions. If you go to the questions section and scroll to the bottom, you can see it. So again, to reiterate Colin's question, it was, is anybody using Snapchat or Pinterest and how does it work compared to um, Google and Facebook? So what Andrew's seen here, I've seen in, in new channels quite often where, so he says, if you do this, be very careful around the attribution models, particularly on Snap. He's seen Snap dashboard show 10 to 13x uh, return on ad spend or ROAS. But when you dig in deeper, it's 95% plus view-through conversions. And a view-through conversion means that they saw the ad, or at least they saw the ad for a second. Um, I don't know what what they what has to happen in, for view-through and snap, but they did not click the ad, and the ad did not necessarily drive the visitor, which then drove the transaction. And so we've seen some folks winning there, but you just have to be crystal clear on what your dashboard is telling you. And so I've seen the same thing in other things where they'll give you view-through, where it could be view through of a display ad on a website. And it's like the person didn't necessarily see it. You're just spraying it all over the place. How do we know that it's actually drove it? And so I think if you start with what is actually, you have confidence that it's driving that acquisition and then trying to expand those channels and then go from there. And so here's a question from Hamid and Emily, you, you'd probably be able to best help us here. So as a pivot, he's searching for the potential of delivering farmers products to customers using a D2C company. With your experience and knowledge, is it possible for them to deliver dairy and meat products and any suggestions for delivering them 
for delivery from farmers. And so as the probably supply chain expert on this one, Emily, do you have any experience on that side of the business? Because I know perishables is a bit different than a lot of the other industries. Yeah, I have worked myself directly with perishables. I know that companies such as Blue Apron are, of course, using a lot of like dry ice and packaging to be able to ship in a normal carrier network such as UPS. I also know LaserShip as kind of a um, local courier type service has been used by some of those companies. I think that a lot of it, you want to get down to more of like the final mile delivery agents as opposed to using something huge like UPS or FedEx, where you know it's going to be in the network for a few days. So you'd be probably looking at what is called regional carriers, which is what something like LaserShip is in the Northeast. Great. Thank you. And we have, so a question that we actually, this relates to the, the question I just threw out there. It was a question from Mary Jo, do you do frozen fulfillment? And so we have temp control, but we do not do frozen goods and we can do perishables, but it depends. And so if anybody wants to have specifics with their business, my email, armstrong at shipup.com, happy to dive in further. Um, so here's a question from Edo, and again, I'll open this up to uh, Andrew, Emily, and Chad. Uh, and then anybody in the audience as well. Does somebody have uh, experience with efficiently advertising CBD? Facebook and Google are a no-go. Not sure how to go about it. Any inputs appreciated. So I have some ideas, but want to throw it out to you all if you have any experience advertising CBD. I do not. I don't have experience there. I think I have heard that Snap will allow you to. So you may want to go get good there. The thing that I'll say about this, though, is that I, I just love this problem because i i just love like part of me wishes i had some more constraints so that i didn't get so stuck on facebook because i i'm just a huge believer that constraints generate creativity and that you now get to solve a different problem than other people are and i just think that's going to be a, that can create gigantic advantages for you especially when inevitably facebook and google do allow you to do this at some point so so anyway so i i think like i would i don't have an answer i haven't seen it but i love the idea of attacking this problem because I think it will pay off for you in ways that probably you have some ripple effects that you can't see right now. I agree. I think it's the constraints really driving creativity and it's tough when you're going through it, but if you can get out the other end, you'll be in a much better position because you're utilizing, let's say SEO and maybe you're, maybe SEO is able to drive your business forward. And that's, that's the toughest to scale, but it's always the most cost-effective channel. And then once Facebook and Google, let's say that they do open things up, those are faster and quote unquote easier channels which you can scale really quickly and the feedback loop is extremely tight. And so you built the muscles on how to build such a more efficient and cost conscious business at the beginning. And then you can really scale once you get your supply chain and everything else into much better order. And also just getting creative in marketplaces. So again, my email, carmstrong at shipbob.com. We work with a lot of CBD brands and some of whom run marketplaces. And so you can utilize these marketplaces who are also leveraging SEO and other channels as well. And then to go back to, even though I know we've said no to Snap a few times, that's actually a good place sometimes to look at the up and coming and emergency, emerging channels where in, in other industries, like when Twitter was just opening up their advertising platform, I was able to do a lot of different and creative stuff there that you weren't able to do. Uh, like with Twitter, for example, the ad would just sit in this bright gold box at the top of everybody's stream forever. And there was just so much cool stuff you could do with Twitter back then. Uh, the reporting was horrible, but you got a ton of visibility. So anyways, that could be an option. So here's something from Marty. And I know, Chad, you chimed in. So he went through this today with Amazon saying that they won't accept our shipment and it's already been manufactured and waiting for a shipment address, shipping address. Now we're scrambling to diversify our fulfillment channels. So Chad, I know you replied in the comments, but anything you want to add in there for the greater group to hear on, on how you've been able to navigate some of the Amazon stuff? Luckily, we, are, we were already positioned in a 3PL environment. So our 3PLs do our uh, fulfillment by Amazon prep, be sent into the Amazon facilities. The fact that Amazon wasn't accepting our shipments just meant that we were going to turn on multi-channel or, or our own fulfillment, where it's seller fulfilled versus FBA. So I'm sure Casey and team at ShipOp can definitely help with this. Yeah, it's, it's been fascinating to see the demand and the conversation shift with Amazon sellers, and especially Amazon sellers that are looking to now learn how to sell directly to consumer. And so again, for those of you that are on Amazon and 
are, are used to selling well there, but are not sure how to go direct to consumer, whether that be through Facebook, Google, SEO partnerships, uh, feel free to drop us a message. We work with a lot of reputable agencies that can help you with that, including the company which owns 4x400, where Andrew is, Common Thread Collective. They're one of the best in the space and can definitely help you with that. So here's a question from Chris. We are new to e-commerce and developing travel-related products when COVID-19 hit, which is unfortunate timing. So we pretty much paused everything, but are thinking of resuming advertising for pre-orders. Do you have travel products that were hit hard? Do you pivot away? Any suggestions? And so I'll say from the data we've seen, yes, that was hit very hard. Some of the data that we've seen from some of our partners, both publicly and privately, that's been arguably the industry or niche that's been hit the hardest. But what I do think is really interesting is looking at companies like, let's say, Lululemon, where they had their kind of travel wear and commuter wear, and they kind of pivoted that to comfortable wear while you're at home because people don't, maybe they, they don't want to wear sweats, but will they wear something more comfortable when they're at home? And so thinking of how are people now not traveling, but utilizing the same products now that they're home. If you're selling uh, suitcases, that's difficult. But I want to throw that op- open to you, Chad, Andrew, Emily, anything yeah. you see there. I've seen interesting companies pivoting to that more college athleisure, being comfortable at home. One specifically that stood out to me was Baboon. They make a, a backpack. And I looked at the copy that they had sent me and it said a go bag. And right now, go bags are very hot because a lot of doomsday preppers are creating these go bags where in any moment you can pick up and go and they're putting first aid equipment in it and they're putting knives in it and band-aids, all these things. Anyway, so they're repositioning the products to the times. And I think that's a really special way to tap into the underbelly of people's emotions. That's great. And and then, so I saw Nick, you chiming in with Edo as well. So real quick to go back to CBD. I did forget that there actually are a couple display ad platforms. I don't know how big their reach is and, and yeah. what kind of data they give you again. I have a list here. I just got to find it because I was you know, doing some research on it as well. And yeah, there's definitely some pretty cool display ads uh, platforms that have bought bought space on these different publications. So I'll have to find them. I just don't know the name to it. Awesome. So I could ask questions all day. I was so pumped when I saw who was joining uh, the episode we have here. But I know that we all have our jobs and I know everybody in the audience has uh, you know, their work and life to live as well. So I've got, I've got one final question, but before I do that, I just want to let you know we're here every Wednesday, 3 o'clock Eastern time, so please come back. If there are other brands that you think that you want to hear from, I'll throw out an ask. Maybe we'll get denied, and, but more often than not, people are happy to share. So please feel free to share those with me. So we'll start with Emily, then we'll go to you, Andrew, and close up with you, Chad. So if you had one piece of advice for brands and, and how they should navigate these times, what is, uh, what is your suggestion? I would say, um, you know, keep going. I think something that uh, Andrew touched on earlier, it's like, just try it. Like people are shopping online a lot right now. And I think that we're going to come out of this a much different world. And e-commerce is probably going to be advanced like 15 to 20 years of what it would have been. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to just keep pushing through it. I will say uh, something similar, probably more long-winded because that's me. But um, I, uh, so the, the drum that I've been beating constantly with this is that um, we live in a world right now of incessant predicting the future. Everybody is trying to figure out what's going to happen next. I think this is a human thing in general. The problem is we're terrible at predicting the future. Like this has just been studied endlessly. Go read The, Sil- the Signal of the Noise by Nate Silver sometime and you'll, you'll kind of get a good look at this. Like it is just fundamentally impossible. And as a framework for thinking about that, in particular, the farther out you predict and the more things that you have to stack for your prediction to, to be correct or incorrect, the less likely you are to be accurate. So if you shorten the time horizon of your predictions and your forecasting and you predict smaller, more minute things, you're more likely to be right. And the reason I say that is because I just have no interest in trying to say what is going to happen in uh, e-commerce later. And so I would just echo what Emily said, which is um, instead go now. Like, I think probably, like, I don't know what's gonna happen in three months. I don't know what's gonna happen when stores reopen. I don't know what's, if there's gonna be a second wave of coronavirus. Like nobody knows, right? Just nobody knows. I don't know what's gonna happen in three months. I don't even really know what's gonna happen in three weeks. I feel pretty good about three days. And what, and, and what I would say with that is like, Airbnb is probably not going to like take their $900 million that they put aside in their marketing budget and put it back into the market in three days. They're probably not gonna do that. They might in three months, but they're probably not going to today. 
um, and in three days. So what I would say is just like, like I saw questions about, should we take pre-orders? My answer is yes, try everything, go do everything. CPMs being down 40% while re retail e-commerce or e-commerce sales are up 50% is crazy. Don't misunderstand. Like it's insane this moment that we are in. And, and so like, I feel like I'm preaching a little bit right now. And it's true because like for me, it's just like every customer you acquire right now is a customer that you may or may not be able to acquire in a couple of weeks, but who will potentially come back and buy every email address you get right now, you now own at black Friday. Like, so whatever happens in the future, Whatever happens over that time, no matter how long this moment lasts for, there are enduring effects if you can take advantage of the scale now. So I'm trying to be careful about cash for sure. Um, you know, we are not a large business with a huge war chest, so we have to be careful about that. But within cash constraint reason, I'm trying to go as big as I can, as fast as I can, so that I can just take advantage of this and that over time, I now have more owned audience, more customers, those kinds of things so that I can capitalize out in the future. I just don't think this one that's going to last. When I was an ad buyer at Kalo five years ago, that company was zero to 20 million in like two years with no funding. And it was a lot because Facebook ads were just massively underpriced at the time. They just were. They just were more valuable than what they were being charged for. But Facebook is a giant auction and auctions are really efficient markets. And so the market caught up. And Facebook is not like that anymore. But right now, today, it's more like that again. And so it will not last. Take advantage of it as big as you can now. When we went zero to 20 million, all of us kick ourselves in retrospect and go, we should have gone bigger faster. That, that's like, we didn't go, we didn't go hard enough. We got greedy. So that's, that's my big thing. Go now, do as much as you can now. Don't even try and predict what's going to happen. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a fool's errand because there's just too many factors. I'm embracing this time. I secretly actually am enjoying uh, quarantine life. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Right now, like psychology will, will make you or break you and along with your company. And this, this virus is preying on weak companies specifically. And so, I mean, for, for my own company, we've gotten super creative. That creativity came out of just taking a shower in the middle of the day, not in the morning, not at night, like in the middle of the day, which would never happen in my life if I was working in my, uh, my typical nine to six going into the city. So we've, I've sort of recommitted a lot of my, my capacity, the way that I've been thinking in this time back to our mission, right? Like why did we start Think Crucial to begin with? And that was to essentially make washable and reusable filters and to create affordability for those that maybe couldn't afford it. And so maybe think about your own business right now. How can you push really hard and get super creative in this time? And maybe it's just like taking a step back from what you've been doing to find that creativity and double down on like why you created this business to begin with. And like one example I'm gonna just leave everyone with is like my wife owns a yoga studio in Nyack. And um, she's been like really, really impacted. And we haven't even gotten the triple P program for her yet. And it's really just, it's hard to see because she's worked so hard to get so many members. So we were one of the first to go virtual. Great. Now everybody's going virtual. Well, now I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do a buy one, donate one. Like, what can we do on our part? So if people buy a virtual membership, we're actually donating to a healthcare worker in, worker in need. And like people are tagging their friends. So we've gotten really creative and really playing to win and not, we're actually just to not not to lose right now right we're just playing to try to survive and eventually thrive in the crisis love it thank you all to reiterate perseverance focuses what a, what is in front of you today embrace the creativity which i could not agree with more and just launch and try new things so thank you everybody for joining us i really appreciate your time andrew emily chat thank you everybody in the audience really appreciate it these are interesting times, but there's a lot of opportunity to be had. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. This is really fun. Thank you. Thank you.